0: Welcome to another episode of the Deborah Health Report, where we dive into current health and medical topics to keep the Delaware Valley informed and updated. Last month, we focused on chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or COPD, an umbrella term for lungs with persistent diminished capacity and function caused by other lung-compromising conditions. This month, we discuss holiday healthy heart tips and how alcohol, smoking, and overeating can have negative effects on your heart health. Here's Rasa K.
1: Hi, I'm Rasa Kay. If you already have or are at risk for a heart condition, you probably already know to stay on top of your diet and to keep an eye on your weight and blood pressure over the festive season between Thanksgiving and New Year's. But every year, people who thought they were going into the holidays in perfect health fall victim to holiday heart syndrome. Borough Heart and Lung Center cardiologist, Dr. Joseph Guarino, explains what sets off this alarming onset of cardiac symptoms.
0: Well, it's something that's been around for a long time. It's typically induced around holidays or celebrations or whatever, uh, where somebody overindulges in the intake of alcohol primarily. That can lead to abnormal heart rhythms. Atrial fibrillation is a common rhythm consequence of that. If they have any underlying problem to begin with, it may make those problems become more prevalent or more, or more obvious. If somebody has a weak heart and they suddenly go into atrial fibrillation with a rapid heart rate response, they may develop heart failure or chest pain or things like that. But it's typically induced by alcohol consumption or excessive alcohol consumption. Sporadic alcohol consumption can do it as well. Some college students binge drink on the weekend and they may end up in the emergency room with an irregular heart rhythm. It's due to direct toxic effect of the alcohol. If they have an underlying issue that maybe they're not aware of, the alcohol may bring that out.
1: Generally you're saying that uh, holiday heart syndrome tends to be AFib.
0: Tends to be AFib, yeah.
1: So what would the symptoms then be? Hanging out at a family partying at the table in the corner Boy. with all the hooch and uh, you're sitting around and the hot time gets away from you and you've been lubricating and lubricating and right. eating rich food and you sit down and you're starting to feel what?
0: The, the primary symptoms palpitations. Patients may feel their heart starting to race or things like that, but they may get short of breath, may get dizzy, may get chest discomfort, but the rhythm abnormalities is the primary issue and that may be induced by the alcohol directly. Or if somebody's had too much to drink and they're vomiting and things like that, your electrolytes can be thrown off, your fluid balance in your body can be thrown off, that may lead to all those symptoms and things as well.
1: Would holiday heart syndrome trigger a heart attack? It's
0: possible in somebody who has underlying coronary disease, And they suddenly go into a rapid atrial fibrillation, sure. It's like running a race all of a sudden. All
1: right. So I was going to ask about the time frame, whether it's event-specific or whether it's kind of a cumulative thing, because you've got your entire holiday season where starting like Mm -hmm. Thanksgiving, and then there's all the parties in December and the gatherings and the Christmas, and then there's New Year's Eve. So you've got...
0: Yeah, like a one good, thing after the other. A good six weeks or so mm-hmm. of
1: a lot of partying and a lot of alcohol opportunities. Right. So it's not so much a cumulative thing. It's more, it's it's more, more of an
0: acute thing rather than cumulative. Cumulative effects of alcohol are different. They may affect the heart muscle directly and things like that if somebody drinks all the time or excessively all the time. But this type of thing with holiday heart is really more of an acute process. So it's a direct toxic effect of the alcohol or, as I say, changes in electrolytes and fluid status in the body.
1: So when you talk mm. about the binge drinking bringing mm. this on in even younger people, maybe holiday heart syndrome isn't the term. It's it's binge
0: heart. Well, it is, but it typically happens around celebrations and holidays and things. So kind of that name kind of caught on.
1: If you've undergone holiday heart syndrome, these palpitations that have been triggered by it, mm-hmm. once you resolve, once you've you've slammed back a gallon of Gatorade and, and slept it off or, or whatever, are you okay or should is?
0: Be. Yeah, you should be okay. It's really a question of, again, whether somebody's prone to rhythm abnormalities in heart, let's say, or they have underlying heart disease that they're unaware of, things like that. But mm-hmm. once you get through this holiday heart situation, things may go back to normal. Whether you need to go to an emergency room and get the rhythm at a rate in, under control, because it will, most of the time, probably greater than 90% of the time, spontaneously go back to a normal rhythm. So it just give patients fluid hydration intravenously, correct any electrolyte abnormalities. If their potassium is low, we give them potassium, things like that. And those things may help to correct the rhythm as well. Many times we don't need to use medications to slow the heart rate down, but if somebody has an underlying heart problem and say they're having chest pain uh, with a rapid heart rate, well, we're gonna be inclined to try to slow that rate down. Medications can be used to do that.
1: How do you know if you need to follow up if you've had an incidence of holiday heart?
0: Well, if it's a recurrent thing, certainly, then you would want to see somebody. It, typically, um, if it's a young, healthy person, say, who just happens to be drinking on the weekend and they develop this problem, uh, that's one thing. And if they don't redevelop symptoms when they're not drinking, otherwise they're fine, and an ability to get around is okay, all that type of thing, then they may not need to have any specific follow-up. But if somebody's a bit older, or maybe they have risk factors for heart disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, smoking, Then they may want to see a cardiologist just to be sure their heart is okay. You might do things like echocardiogram and stress testing just to check the circulation to the heart. And also with an echocardiogram, you're looking at an ultrasound of the heart. You're looking at heart size and heart squeezing performance, looking at all the valves in the heart to make sure there's no underlying heart problem. And the the holiday heart syndrome just brought out the symptoms more in you.
1: So if you've got... An elderly relative, and you saw him at Thanksgiving, and they're, oh, well, these are just my palpitations. I'll just, yeah. enough enough of the scotch. And then you see him at Christmas Eve, and it's like, oh, yeah, my heart's acting up again. But it's just, I, I just that's my last scotch in the night.
0: Right. Yeah, you'd be a little more inclined to look into that. The rich food, the salty food, the you know party food. Right. Uh, does that Absolutely play? delicious.
1: <laughs> but does it play a role in holiday
0: heart? Uh, not so much. It can again, if somebody has an underlying problem with their heart. Let's say, say they have a weakened heart for whatever reasons, and there's a variety of them. But a greater intake of salt may also make them hold on to fluids. They may swell in the ankles. They may get short of breath because now they're retaining fluid into the lungs. So depending on not only the the makeup of the food or the contents in it. But how much are you eating? You're overindulging, now you're making your heart work harder because you're eating a lot, so the heart has to work harder to digest all that food. Plus, there's an extra load of salt, more than likely. All is set up for a problem to develop if somebody has underlying heart problems.
1: The way to avoid holiday heart, then, is to not overindulge in the alcohol. What are the ways,
0: then, you, you want to well, approach, I mean, just, approach just, just, your
1: celebration still have a good time?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, obviously people want to celebrate, so Just be cautious about it. If you know you have an underlying heart problem, well, then you ought to be more cautious about it. But younger people are not not gonna tend to do that. They're gonna have, uh, you know, maybe excessive amount of alcohol during those times. You know, if something happens, then, you know, get it looked at. It may be nothing too serious, it may resolve quickly, but you don't wanna take a chance either, you know, so. Excesses of food intake and things like that, just a quantity of food. Again, it makes your heart work harder, and so if you're prone to a problem, it may bring it out more under those circumstances
1: palpitations, though, you don't always notice them. So there might True. be other symptoms then that it's happening.
0: Right. Well, you make it short of breath, you may get dizzy, you Make may get chest discomfort, all those types of things.
1: Speaking of holidays, traveling during the holidays with a heart condition, what kind of heart condition might make you rethink how you're traveling? Or is that even anything to worry about?
0: Well, it, it can be. You know, I mean, people who have say weak heart, and they've been in heart failure before. I mean, most travel is reasonably safe if you're taking a plane, you're in a pressurized cabin, but just getting through the airport and carrying luggage and doing all those types of things is a lot more workload on your heart. Uh, So it may put you at risk if your heart is, you know, on the edge there, so to speak. So you want to be cautious about that. Get a ride in the airport in one of those transport things that can bring it to the gate. Don't try to do everything yourself. You know, it's more common sense a lot of the time. You know, if your doctor thinks you're stable enough to travel, that's your best, you know, advice from your physician before you start traveling. But driving, if you're driving long distances, we worry about different things. You may start to swell in the ankles and feet, risk of blood clot in the legs from driving hours and hours and not getting out and walking around. I always tell patients, get out every two or three hours and get out and move get the, the muscles contracting in your legs to avoid problems. Um, I sometimes have patients, if they're on a diuretic, a water pill already, I may have them take an extra dose of the day before they're going to travel in a car. So they get rid of a bit more fluid. and They don't tend to swell as much in the, in the traveling time they're traveling.
1: Now, if you're stuck in a plane, though, and there's delays and you're, you're strapped in, you've got the window seat, or you still have to just make that effort?
0: Well, if you can. I mean, the plane is going to usually be a shorter time period uh, that you're inactive so the risk is a bit less there. You can move your feet up and down, exercise your legs just sitting in your seat too, just to keep that blood circulating and contract the muscles that way and things may help in that regard. But you want to be sure that if they have a cardiac condition to begin with, that they're stable before they start traveling, you know. Uh, and again, your doc is the best person to ask that is it okay if I fly to, you know, Wisconsin or wherever. <laughs> And most of the time it's probably gonna be fine as long as their status is not unstable. If you're having like ongoing episodes of chest pain or shortness of breath or swelling, then it may not be the best time to travel.
1: Let's say, what's your top three New Year's resolutions for, for heart health? And maybe get them started at the holiday season. <laughs> well,
0: that's never gonna work. With that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, alcohol consumption, just starting there, is okay, you know, as long as you do it reasonably. You know, you can't binge drink, you know, and, and drink a large volume to have a large intake of alcohol, which may cause problems acutely. But small amounts of alcohol, even on a daily basis, are actually beneficial from a cardiac standpoint. It varies between men and women. Yeah. Men can drink more than women. <laughs> We have bigger livers and things like that so we tolerate the alcohol better but there are truly beneficial effects to low dose alcohol on a regular basis i think think red wine has gotten the most pressed basically binge drinking is a problem that may create problems with the rhythm but overindulging in and eating and things like that you just want to don't do that. You know, it's common sense stuff, And barely more than anything else. If you're traveling, be sure you have your medications with you if you're on medications. Don't leave them at home and, you know, you get down to Florida, you don't have any medications anymore. You know, That happens quite commonly. We end up on the phone calling in prescriptions into Florida for them because they left them back home. But just simple things like that, you know, just be careful. Listen to your body if it's starting to tell you something's going on, you know, and don't just keep forging ahead, you know, take a step back and make sure you're doing okay.
1: Let's break down that alcohol amount, though. Define acceptable amounts of alcohol and what binge drinking would be considered, because people might be surprised.
0: Yeah, right. I mean, a reasonable amount of alcohol is a fairly small amount of alcohol, actually. A man can have two five-ounce glasses of red wine a day where a woman can have one. So there's that variation right there. But a shot of alcohol or a single beer on a regular basis is probably okay. It's really beyond that you are starting to get into problems as far as your liver is concerned and things other than your heart because too much alcohol consumption could cause problems elsewhere.
1: General heart questions and and heart disease because Mm -hmm. we've talked about all of these holiday things and how it can impact if you have heart disease. Well, how are we defining heart disease these days and the prevalence of it?
0: Heart disease is the number one killer of people around the world, really. Most people in the United States, there is, I believe, 695,000 deaths in 2021 from heart disease, one in every fifth person who died was from heart disease. And it's mostly coronary artery disease. You develop plaque in the coronary arteries for a variety of reasons, obviously. That's the leading cause of death. For any racial group or ethnic group, it applies across the board. And for men and women. Men still have a little edge over women as far as death rate is concerned, but they're, they're pretty close so we don't ignore women as far as their symptoms may be concerned. Where Years ago, they would be considered hysterical or emotional and things like that, and their symptoms would be dismissed more readily. I think in the last few decades, if you will, it's, it's gotten much better in that regard. The tricky part is women may present quite commonly with atypical symptoms. They don't get crushing chest pain the center of the chest, things like that many times. They may have no, no pain at all. They may just feel tired. All of a sudden, I can't do what I normally do around the house, I get exhausted, or they get out of breath, or they may get jaw pain rather than chest pain. So a variety of presentations in women are much more common, where a classical angina or heart pain is a pressure, tightness in the center of the chest, it may radiate really to the left armpit area, may go to the jaw, to the neck, uh, it may be associated with shortness of breath, and nausea, cold, clammy sweat. Those are classical angina or heart pain symptoms. But women may present very atypically, so you have to kind of still be thinking of it. And you know, if they're feeling uncomfortable in some way, then, well, you do some testing to see if they have any underlying problem that they were unaware of.
1: Women have that whole lovely transition known as menopause that mm. has all kinds of symptoms associated. Palpitations very often right. uh, show up during that transition mm. phase menopause being one of these conditions that's diagnosed in hindsight okay 12 yeah, right. months and uh, you know now you're yes. you're done but it's the perimenopause it's during the that yeah. 12 months of no menstrual period and all of these things are going on are there any clues during menopause that there may be trouble ahead if you're having palpitations during menopause when do you worry that this is just my hormones going nuts and right. it'll settle down or do you got to run and get it checked out?
0: Well, I don't know that you necessarily have to run to get it checked out You know, because you're going to develop those symptoms as you go through menopause. Once you're through menopause and you lose the protective effect of estrogen, your risk of heart disease comes up to equal men's But during menopause, those symptoms can be confusing or is it just the menopause? If it's something... You know, and most of the time it probably is, you know, not everybody's going through menopause has heart disease, you know. But if your symptoms are, say, much more pronounced or recurrent and you're uncomfortable in other ways with it, so you get palpitations, but now you're also getting out of breath or you're getting dizzy, well, you may want a doctor to check you just to make sure there's nothing underlying that's going on and this is just the vasomotor effects of the menopause. So testing may be appropriate certain individuals.
1: That's cardiologist Dr. Joseph Guarino. We'll continue our discussion of heart health with him in our next podcast, which, as always, drops the first Wednesday of the month. I'm Rasa Kay.
0: You can always listen to all of the informative Deborah doctor interviews at DeborahHealthReport.com. Schedule an appointment at DemandDeborah.org.